Hey Life Canton, Roger here, one of the directors. Uh, so glad that you are joining us, whether it's your first time or you have listened to us before. Either way, we really appreciate you supporting our church in this podcast. I want to remind you that if you are a brand new listener, be sure to give us a like, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff uh, so that other people can find our podcast, our messages, and the other things that we put out. So this week, we are going to be in week nine of our summer series on Mark, where we've been going through chapter by chapter the Gospel of Mark. Uh, this week, you're going to hear from Pastor Jared, and he's going to talk about the idea of greatness and what uh, Jesus calls his followers to. Um, but if you are a brand new listener, I just want to remind you before you give that message a listen that we believe that you belong here at LifeCan and we want to get you plugged in. So be sure to fill out a connect card on our uh, website or our Church Center app so that we can reach out and get you plugged in. Uh, we're going to give that message a listen to and I will catch up with you in just a moment. Man, you can have a seat. Welcome to Life Canton. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I am glad that you are here as well. Um, I want to dispel any uh, stories real quickly in case I chat with any of you out in the lobby and you're staring at the big red bump on my forehead. Uh, We were cleaning some stuff out at the church uh, last Thursday, and I must have upset a wasp's nest, so uh, it was not happy with me. Apparently, that's one of the occupational hazards of being a pastor, so I just wanted to give you the heads up on that, and if you're staring at that, I'm down here, okay, Uh, when we have a conversation. Um, I want to say welcome if you're new here, if this is your first time here, or maybe you've been coming a couple weeks, but you haven't gotten fully plugged in yet. In case you didn't hear Franz say this at the beginning, uh, there is a way to connect. There's going to be a QR code on the screen. You can scan that with your phone, or you can just visit us out in the lobby. We'll be happy to help you take a next step. I do want to let you know about a specific next step that you can take to meet us and for us to meet you, and that's called Meet the Pastor. That's happening on August 20. Uh, You can sign up, or you can just show up, and then we'll be happy to connect with you as well and help you take a next step uh, for your belonging here at this church. That's very important to us, is you knowing that you belong. No matter your background, your story, whatever it is that you're coming from, uh, you belong. I I mentioned that um, I'm one of the pastors today, and probably only today will I say this, that I am also your lead pastor, and that's the first time I could say that. So So I'm very, um, very honored very humbled um, to be in this role. I'm very excited about that. But I also want to share with you a little bit of that story. And then I'm going to continue to introduce myself as one of your pastors, because you might not know this about me. Uh, I don't really like to draw attention to myself. I don't like being at the center of attention, which I know is weird to say when you're standing on a stage and you have lights showing on you and your picture is on a screen. I get the uh, irony of that, all right? But it's not something I naturally desire in my default mode is to be the center of attention. I'm actually, for those of you who don't know, I'm really pretty introverted. I I tend to be a little bit more behind the scenes. I'm I'm kind of quiet. That tends to be my personality. Now, the thing is, is back in 2016, so well before I even came here, is when I started to feel this stirring or this call, if you want to call it that, to be a lead pastor, not because of the title, but because of the functions and the, the tasks that are associated typically with that role. And felt like I wanted to teach more. I wanted to maybe have some leadership influence and those kinds of things. But I didn't necessarily want the spotlight that comes with being a lead pastor or a senior pastor. And so it was weird for me to feel that sense of call from God. I'm, I'm kind of conflicted. Like, God, why, 
why would you put that in my heart? Why would you put that in my mind? Why am I feeling this pull towards this? Because everything that I knew about lead pastors and senior pastors up to that point was everything that was not me. <laughs> all, the, all of the other people, and they're mostly men, uh, that were in lead pastor positions were guys that were really outgoing and gregarious and charismatic in their personality. And they were, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but they were a lot more like alpha male kind of people, like using lots of sports analogies and military analogies. We're going to go take that hill for Jesus. And that's just, it's not me. That, that's not my personality. I'm, I'm maybe a little bit more gentle or quiet or reserved. And so I felt this conflict within myself, like, well, God, why are you putting this in my heart? Why does this feel like a desire to me? Because I'm not those people. I'm not like them. And so I began to question over the last seven years, really, because that was in 2016. Now it's 2023 when I'm, I'm just now living into this calling, I guess. I had to wrestle with, what, well, then what does success look like? What does success for me look like as a, as a lead pastor? And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit today. And and I thought about this. I, I acknowledge uh, the weight of this role. And I'll be honest, I, I wanted this role. I, I wanted everything that comes with it. And I, I still do. I desire to be in this role. Um, but I also recognize the weight and the responsibility that comes with it as well. To, to balance the kind of person that God has made me, but also the responsibility to lead. I, I realized the weight of all of that. And so I was drawn to the words of Paul who says to the Corinthian church, he says this thing that actually starts off, if you just read the first half of it by itself, it sounds really arrogant, but then you finish the statement. I want to show you what I'm talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, you should imitate me, arrogant, but just as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as long as I'm imitating Christ. I would say that to us as a church, as I uh, give, I guess, my first sermon as your lead pastor, I, I want you to imitate me, but only as long as I am imitating Christ. Well, what exactly is being imitated? We're going to look at that in Mark. We've been in the series all summer long in the book of Mark, and we had already planned out what this, this particular Sunday would be, but well before I knew uh, the results of the vote and where I would be with the lead pastor transition and all of that, uh, it seemed to happen very appropriately what this message is about and how it relates a little bit to my story. Which is, I think it's helpful for us to understand what kind of a church are we going to be as well. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can go to Mark chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you're newer to church or you're newer to the Bible, totally okay. We'll have the words on the screen. You can follow along in that way. It says this in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. After they, the disciples and Jesus, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Way to go, guys. Love the humility in this, right? Who's number one? Are you, are you cool like, or, or am I cooler than you? Like, wonderful conversation to be having with Jesus at this point in the story, if you know the story and where this is headed. What a very strange and bizarre conversation to be having, right? Who's the greatest? Who's number one? Got a bunch of Muhammad Ali's in this group of, uh, of people, right? Like, who's the greatest? And, and I think it's interesting to look at this word, greatest. Uh, this word actually means uh, comparison. It's a Greek word. I'm going to teach you a couple Greek words today. This word is a word that's pronounced mizon. Everybody say mizon. 
mesone. It's this word that means the greatest, or um, it's more so assuming a comparison is going on right now. They're, they're comparing themselves to one another. Now, anybody that says the Bible is irrelevant because it's old and it doesn't address the issues of today hasn't read, read this section, right? <laughs> Think about the nature of our culture and how much we compare ourselves to one another. Oh, absolutely, the Bible is relevant to our lives today. We are constantly comparing ourselves to one another. We are obsessed with self. Our culture is so obsessed with self, yet we are the most lonely culture in the world. We are obsessed with our image, yet we are so very insecure. We are obsessed with, I need to be known, I need to be seen, I need to be heard, yet we never take the time to listen to anybody else or to see them, to hear them. We are obsessed with self in our culture. And what we do with that self is we compare ourselves to one another. Who's better? Who's worse? Who's, where do we stand? And as we take it back into this particular context, why are the disciples having to have this conversation in the beginning? Anyway, like, why, why do they need to compare themselves? Why do they need to understand, well, what's your status? What's my status? Why are they comparing themselves? Well, here's the thing. The, the story is starting to move toward Jesus becoming king. And the, and the graphic that we have for our series is, is a crown, right? It, it, the crown of Jesus. Jesus is about to be king, but what kind of king is he going to be? That's what he's trying to get them to understand. They're not there yet. So they're thinking a particular kind of king is about to take position on a throne, and so if Jesus is going to be king, then they all want to understand, well, where do we stand in relation to the king? Are we going to be counselors, advisors? Are we going to be certain political elite figures standing next to Jesus? It'd be like this. If you were to think about the president-elect, right? When the president is elected in November, then there's this stage, about two months or so, where they're setting up their cabinet. And they're setting up who's going to sit where. So when you're in the Oval Office... Who sits where? This is basically what the disciples are doing. They're trying to jockey for position and try to understand once Jesus is king in a political sense or a military sense, where do we sit? What's our position going to be? Well, Jesus understands this. He doesn't technically know what they're talking about because he asks them, what were you guys talking about? And yet Jesus is still God. He's omnipotent. He knows. And so he he antes up the conversation a little bit. Check out what Jesus says in re response to it in verse 35. It says, He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him, and said, Okay, whoever wants to be the first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. He already knows what's on their minds, he already knows what's in their hearts. And so he decides to get out ahead of it. Now, here's the thing notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, you know, even though you're not going to tell me what you were talking about, I knew what you were talking about. And so tell you what, get in the back of the line, everybody. No, he doesn't, he doesn't actually rebuke them in a way, in the way that we would think he would. Instead, he actually affirms their desire for knowledge of their position. Okay, you, you guys want to discuss your position? You, you want to discuss where you're all going to sit? I'll tell you what, let's talk about position. You're going to take the position of a servant. That's your position. You want to be first? You're going to be last. That's how this is going to work out. He affirms their conversation around position, but then he takes it a step further. Be a servant. It's not about you being first. 
In fact, we could say it this way, it's not about me zone. (laughs) It's a little play on words. This is not about me. It's not about comparison, the me zone, the Greek word there. It's not about you comparing yourself to one another and understanding where you're all sitting at. It's not about you jockeying for a position. It is not about me zone. That's the position you should be in. And here's the thing. Uh, This isn't a new idea. In fact, Jesus already talked about this back in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. He talks about denying yourself. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It's not about you. It's not about me. Deny yourself, your obsession with yourself, your comparison that you're doing. Deny yourself. Now, I need to recognize that there are some people who have come from backgrounds in churches where you have had to diminish yourself. And so the words self-denial are maybe a little bit triggering for you. And so I would say it this way, that self-denial is not equal to self-loathing. I want to be clear there. This is not about you diminishing your value or diminishing your worth. If you were here last week, uh, Miss Marnie's talked about this idea that sometimes you might have this hypothetical person that comes to church and says, I'm no fun to be around. I'm not kind. I'm not helpful. Uh, I, I, I'm not happy ever. I'm not joyful. I don't really help out a lot. Uh, will you be my friend? There's something to that effect, right? Like who wants to be that person's friend? And then <laughs> it was funny actually because a bunch of people in the crowd were like, I'll be your friend. You belong. It's like, okay. Yes, you guys are great. Great answer. Great Sunday school answer, right? It's not about self-loathing. I'm a horrible person. I'm not as good as they are. And in all honesty, in my story, when I got this sort of stirring in my heart to be a lead pastor, I went into self-loathing. There's still me-zone happening there, right? Me-zone, we, we usually only talk about comparing ourselves to one another as saying, I'm better than them, I'm greater than them. But we can compare in the opposite way as well. We can say, I'm not, I'm not as good as them. They're so much better than, they're a better speaker than I, they're a better leader than I, I could never do what they do. Like we do this all the time. We find ourselves me-zoning in all different kinds of ways as a culture. Constantly comparing ourselves. Jesus says, none of that's healthy. (laughs) In fact, the thing that I'm going to draw you to, the other kind of position you should be in is the position of a servant. I mentioned I would teach you a couple Greek words. This is the other Greek word I want to teach you. It's this word diakonos. So if it's not about me, then it's about becoming a servant. And that word servant is the Greek word diakonos here. That word actually means an attendant to the king. It's kind of cool to think about. Attendant to the king. Now, you might have some images in your mind of what that might look like. If I'm an attendant to the king, well, man, there's a sense of pride there. Like, that's that's an important job. I get to attend to the king, to the person that's in charge. Maybe there's sort of an elitism that, that comes along with that. Maybe you have a uniform. Maybe you get to have a little bit more of a posh lifestyle if you're a servant to the king. That feels really good, right? And yes, you are a servant to the king, to King Jesus, but he's a different kind of king. And what does he say in the end of the verse? You must be a servant to everyone else. Everyone else. So in other words, you've got all of these other lower people, lower class society. You're going to be a diakonos, servant of the king, to everyone else. So in other words, you don't take a back seat 
in your serving of everyone else. The way in which you would serve a king with a sense of of pride, and I feel good about this, is now uh, the way that you're going to serve the lowliest. You're going to take pride in your serving everyone else as well. Jesus is taking their desire for positioning and he's turning it on his head. He's asking them to think in a different kind of way. And I thought about this. This is my my first sermon as a lead pastor. And I, I thought if I could only give one sermon for the rest of my career as a pastor, it would be about something like this. Other than love, right? Like love seems pretty central to, to the, the Christian message. But if I couldn't preach on that, I would preach on this. Humility. Humility. I could preach on humility for the rest of my career and it would not age out. It would not get old. There is never not a time where we need to hear the message of humility in Jesus. To become a diakonos kind of person because a humble church is a serving church. If I were to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, that's what I want to call us to, is a church that is humble. Where it's not about me. It's not even about me as the leader. It's about all of us working together. And here's the thing. I want to continue to remind us of this. It's self-denial and humility is not self-loathing. Humility, as a, a, a mentor to me once said, he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. It's not about obsessing over yourself. It's not self-promotion, but it's not self-loathing. Humility is about a diakonos kind of servant. One who has great value that is willing to impart that value to everybody else. Now, Jesus is quite certain that the disciples haven't quite picked up on this message yet, so he illustrates it with a little bit of an active parable in this moment. He goes on to the next verse, and it says this, Then he put a little child among them, taking the child in his arms. He said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. I don't know what images come to your mind when you read a section of scripture like this. I can imagine based on a lot of art that's out there and maybe art that I grew up with in churches and Sunday school rooms was this image of Jesus sitting there. Of course, he's white and he's got perfectly straightened hair and a wonderful beard, no pieces out of place, right? And then all of the kids are kind of surrounding him. He's like in the preschool room and like one kid is sitting on his lap. They're all smiling. They're living their best life right now, right? Like everything is going well. And then the parents are kind of in the background, like smiling and happy about this whole situation. I want you to take that image in your mind's eye and crumple it up, tear it up, throw it away and set it on fire because that's not even close to what this image is, okay? Can you do that for me? This is not the culture that's happening right now. And this is not how the disciples would have felt about this moment. Like, oh, this is cute. This is sweet. Oh, like that's not the moment that's happening right now. In fact, if anything, they're probably like, get out of here, you little kid. Get out of here. You know, like they are not happy about this moment, which is why Jesus has to speak in this way. In that culture and in that time, and with these disciples who are like teenage guys are annoyed by the kids. They think the kids are a nuisance. Get them out of here. There's another story where Jesus has to tell the disciples, let the little children, what? 
come to me. Why? Why does he have to say that? Because they weren't letting the children come to him. <laughs> right? It's like some of this is really simple. They were shooing them away. Kids are a nuisance in that culture. Get away. We got better things to do with our time. Sometimes when we think about kids, we think about maybe the negative aspect of being a kid. That they're needy. That they're vulnerable. That they're emotional. If that's true, what does that tell us about the character of God and what Jesus is saying in this moment? Anybody who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. Does that mean that I'm vulnerable? That I'm needy? That I'm emotional? Yep. Are you? Yep. And so we embrace Jesus in our vulnerability, in our neediness, in our emotions. Jesus is taking it all. He's welcoming all of it because it requires dependency on him. But also there's a sense of positive elements to being a kid, right? Some of us have this joy as we watch kids because kids have this sense of wonder, right? And because they have so much wonder, they ask a lot of questions as well, but questions are good. Questions are good. And then there's a sense of newness to everything that they experience, everything that they encounter. There's, there's newness there. Oh, what, what's that about? I want to understand more about that. That's cool. What is that? That's neat. Jesus is asking us to embrace all of the good and the bad and the in-between of what it means to be a child. And then he calls us child of God. This is what Jesus is presenting in this moment. If you are to welcome humility in, welcome this diakonos kind of mentality into your life, you are going to have to shift your mindset to that of a child. And guess what? It's not easy. It's not going to be an overnight kind of thing. It's going to take some time. Well, how do you do this? How do you adopt this kind of mentality? Well, I mentioned that at the beginning of the story, they had been traveling and then they arrived at Capernaum and were discussing something on the road. They were discussing who's the greatest. That wasn't the only conversation that took place on the road. There was another one that came before it that Jesus instigated with them. I want you to see this. In verse 30, it goes like this. Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. What did he teach them? Here's what it says. He said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed. But three days later, he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Think about the linear movement of this story, right? This is the conversation that took place right before the conversation that we already talked about. Who's the greatest? Where do we stand? Which position are we going to be in? How tone deaf is that? Jesus is preparing for his funeral and they're trying to understand who's going to stand next to him in the Oval Office. That's really insensitive. That's really stupid. They don't get it. They don't understand and yet we do the exact same thing. We are obsessed with our self-promotion or our self-loathing. We just want to talk about ourselves and compare ourselves. Meanwhile, Jesus would be like, hey, I'm over here on the cross dying for you. He's preparing them for something 
that is going to be hard. And they're not ready for it. I think about this idea that they're afraid to ask him what he meant. They didn't understand, and they're afraid to ask. What's that about? I wondered if it was kind of like this. Um, have you ever been in school, students, you're in school, and you, the teacher asks a question, and you know you've reviewed that before. You know you've talked about it. And you think you should know the answer, but you don't. And so you're like, maybe I should raise my hand and ask a question. But if I do that, then I'm going to look stupid. And everybody's going to know that I don't know the answer. And I probably should know the answer. So you know what? I'm just not going to raise my hand at all. Anybody ever do that? Of course you have. Yes. Is it that? Is it they're afraid to look dumb for not knowing what Jesus is talking about? Or is it maybe something a little bit different? Maybe they don't understand and they're afraid to ask what he meant because they actually do know a little bit of what he's been talking about and they don't think they're going to like the answer. So we do this too, right? Like we know that there's something going on, but we don't want to hear about it. Like if my parents were disciplining me when I was a kid and they're just like saying the same thing over to me, uh, over and over to me, what I want to do is this. I want to be go, la, 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 la. I already understand. I already know. Stop talking. I don't want to hear it, right? Like I don't want to know the answer that they're already telling me, even though I already know what they're saying. Is that what's going on? Are this, the disciples tuning out Jesus because they don't actually want to have to deal with everything that he's been talking about before. I don't want to deal with betrayal. I don't want to deal with him being killed. And this isn't the first time he talked about this. This is the second recorded time in Mark where Jesus talks about his death and resurrection. The past time in chapter 8, he talks about being rejected by the leading priests and the elders. He also talks about suffering many terrible things. Not good stuff. Not fun stuff. And then he talks about his death and resurrection. In this chapter, he talks about death and resurrection as well, but the only thing he omits is suffering. Instead, he replaces it with betrayal. The story's going downhill from here. It's not getting better. It's not getting easier. Now, some of us might be like, yeah, but like he talks about rising from the dead. He talks about resurrection. That's the hope of Christianity. That's what they would have been excited about, right? No, they had no concept of resurrection. They don't know what resurrection is. How, how do these first century people have an understanding of what being risen from the dead looks like? Nobody's done it yet. They don't have a concept for resurrection yet. That's a new idea. And in fact, we have plenty of stories to show us that the disciples, even after the resurrection, still didn't understand what was going on. And so they leave the town sad and devastated. They didn't understand resurrection all they heard was suffering, rejection, betrayal, and death. And so they're tuning it out. Because what do they want to talk about instead? What's our position going to be? We reject conversations of suffering and death. And in so doing, we reject Jesus. Because we got too much time on our hands comparing ourselves to one another. It's all about me zone. Jesus is trying to shift their thinking. It's not about me. I'm asking you, I'm calling you, I'm inviting you into a different kind of mentality, a diakonos mentality. 
I want to show you these two words next to each other and just talk about them briefly. We've got mizon and diakonos, the two Greek words, right? Now, the word mizon, uh, I'm playing around with the word. What I'm not telling you is that mizon is the foundation for the English word me. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But I do think it's interesting to identify what words we do see in this word mizon. It's about me. It's about I. Me, myself, and I. It's all about mizon. It's either self-promotion or self-loathing. And when you self-promote, what you have to do as you're comparing yourself and saying that you're greater than somebody else, that inevitably means that you have to diminish somebody else. You have to diminish their worth, diminish their value in order to elevate your value. But if you fall into the me zone that looks like self-loathing, then you diminish yourself and your value and your worth in order to show that other people are so much better than you are. Jesus says neither of those is good. He says, adopt a diakonos lifestyle and mentality. Become a servant. And this actually is where we get the Greek foundation for two. Di means two. Diakonos, which means there's more than just yourself involved. Diakonos assumes that if you're serving, you can't just serve yourself. You must serve one another. And not just the king, King Jesus, everybody else. And in fact, the king who you are serving is a king that's actually going to go to his death through betrayal and rejection and suffering. That's what you're serving. The die means two. There is somebody else involved. And that means you're not diminishing yourself or the other person. In fact, what you are recognizing in diakonos, servant leadership, is that you are recognizing, in fact, that you have great value and you take that value and ascribe it to somebody else. You impart it to somebody else because they need to see that they have value too. That's a diakonos kind of servant. I want to be a diakonos kind of leader. I want us to be a diakonos kind of church recognizing that we have great value and worth. And then we can just go and give out that value and that worth and tell other people that they have it too. And invite them in to the loving arms of Jesus as they welcome us in like a child. As I was thinking about my own story, I realized that as God was stirring in me that there's a... a Again, messing with the word a little bit, there's a dying to myself that has to happen. If that's helpful for you to think about the word diakonos, die means two, but you can also remember that to die (laughs) invites us to die to ourselves, both our self-promotion and our self-loathing. For me, as I was wrestling through that call to be a lead pastor, I had to die to myself, to die to my own self-loathing. I'm not as good as those guys. I'm not like those other leaders. I'm not like those kinds of pastors until I had one mentor sit me down and say, stop, knock it off. Of course you're not like those other people. You're not supposed to be. Let them be them. You be you. We, we have plenty of those kinds of leaders. We already have a lot of those kinds of pastors out there. We need a pastor like you. And it shifted my heart to help me realize why and how God 
wired this kind of personality within me. That I'm not the kind of leader who just charges out ahead and says, we're going to take that hill for Jesus, but instead sits back and to make sure everybody's coming along. Are we good? Are Are we healed? Are we whole? Are we stable? Are we being mindful of those around us? Not just charging on ahead. All the while, people are struggling behind me. This mentor helped me see why God was putting this stir within me. Say, it's okay to be quiet, gentle, introverted. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, as we step into this new culture and new wave of what evangelicalism has done to our culture, we we do need some different leaders. We need some different churches. I'm excited to lead that kind of church along with you and to support you, to be a servant leader because that's where I thrive. That it's not just about me. It's not just about me being on this stage and influencing from that way, but sometimes it means cleaning up, throw up in the bathroom, which is not a hypothetical. That happened a couple months ago when I was not preaching. Everybody else was busy, and so I guess I was putting the gloves on and clean up some throw up in the bathroom. I'm not going to tell you which bathroom with the men's or the women's. It got clean, I'll tell you that much. Are we as a church willing to do that? In fact, in the last service, right as I was giving the message, I was right in the middle of the message, and somebody dropped their coffee and it just spilled everywhere. And immediately, John Smith, who you're going to hear from next week, by the way, he's preaching next week. He's one of our interns. He immediately got up and went to the janitor's closet because he knew where the mop was, and he started cleaning it up while the message was happening. Like, I should have just been like, you know what, I'm done. Let's do that. Do that. All right, see you next week. I love that heart. I love that mentality. I want us to be a diakonos church, a serving church through humility, not through gaining something for ourselves. Because then we're going to go right back in the me zone church. We'll be in the me zone. I'll put it like this. This is maybe a much simpler illustration, if I could add this. Let's think about forks, knives, and spoons. Seems like the natural progression of this message, right? Forks, knives, and spoons. What kind of church are we going to be? Well, we could talk about forks. What do we know about forks? Forks poke things, right? They get just the thing that they want. We've got plenty of churches that do a lot of poking. They poke at culture. We're afraid of culture. We don't want that. So we'll just take the little bits and pieces that we need. We pick and choose the things that work well for us. And then we let everything else be aside. I don't want to be a fork church. We've got knife churches, right? What do knives do? They cut. They cut down and they cut out and they divide. And they harm. And they separate We've got a lot of knife churches out there. They're known for what they're against, not for what they're for. I don't want to be a knife church. I want to be a spoon church. What do we know about spoons? Spoons can get all that stuff out of there. And they can add more. And they can get all kinds of different things on there too. I think about it like this. Uh, We have, my wife and I have started, um, probably more than we should, going to a Korean restaurant that's close to our house called Kimchi. And we love the beef bulgogi soup. Now, I don't know if this is going to surprise you or not, but I did not grow up eating Korean food regularly. (laughs) And so there are some things in there that I'm not entirely sure what they are, but I don't ask. I'm adventurous. I'll just try it all. 
Now, if you were to do this to me back when I was like nine or 10 years old, I would just get a fork and I would stab the pieces of meat and eat that because that tastes really good. But as I've grown, as I've matured, there are other things that I want on that spoon. I've got to use a spoon to get it out. Fork's only going to get a couple things. Knife, completely worthless. A spoon, I can get the meat. I can get some of the things that I'm not sure what they are. I can get the broth all at once and take a really big, hearty bite and enjoy all of it. I want us to be a spoon church, a serving church that can get all of the stuff. There's room for all of the things. Now, here's the thing. You're all clapping, but you might get some things on the spoon that you weren't necessarily prepared for, and you're not even sure what that is. Are you still willing to take a bite? Are we going to take a bite as a church from everything that's on that spoon? Are we going to make room for what's on that spoon? Room for what? I don't know. Whatever else God wants to happen here. But I'm ready for it. Are you ready for it? A diakonos church is a spoon church. Makes room for everything that God has in store for us. This is what is going to enable us to live into our vision, which by the way, the vision is not changing. The vision is not going away. It is still to reclaim our identity in Jesus and to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. We need a big old spoon to get all that in our church. Here's the best next step that you can take to get involved with this vision, to become a spoon church to sign up for Be The Spark in September. Be The Spark, it's only the second time we've been doing this, but this is our opportunity to come together to learn about the heart, the mentality, and the lifestyle of being a diakonos kind of church, to serve, to get plugged in to serving. Please sign up. This is not just some fun event, some cute little thing that we're doing on the side. This is for our entire church to develop our diakonos mentality. Please sign up for that. We're going to come together. We're going to celebrate serving. And then we're going to get all of you plugged in if you're not already plugged in. Would you please stand if you are able? As we close, I want to invite you to, if it helps, to free yourself of distractions, to close your eyes, maybe to put your hands out or up or wherever they need to be to Acknowledge your posture and your position as a servant. And we pray, God, this is really, really hard to become a servant. It's really hard to die to ourselves. But God, we believe that with your spirit, all things are possible. We believe that you have set the tone for what it looks like, not just to be king, but to be the servant king the one who is willing to serve everyone else, being obedient to death on a cross. God, I pray that we would have the courage to die to ourselves. I pray for those of us who are me-zoning, we are comparing ourselves, saying we're greater than everybody else, that you would humble us. I pray for those of us who just argue within our own hearts, we self-loathe, We diminish our value. We diminish our worth. God, would you lift us up? 
remind us it's not all about me. We turn our attention and our focus to you because you're the only one that's truly worthy of our praise. Great are you, Lord. Welcome back. Um, I hope that, especially if you're new here, that you heard the heart that Pastor Jared, as our new lead pastor, uh, that he has for our church and his vision and desire to drive us to be a servant church. And if you want to know how you can get involved in our church, you can always ask questions uh, again on that Connect card. But another way that you can support where we're going as a church and where God is taking us, especially in the work of being a servant church is by giving and you can do that via our church center app again or our website but take this opportunity to support the work that god is calling us to uh, and the, all of the ways that your giving uh, your generous giving uh, supports that work uh, i also want to remind you that if you have anything going on or if you're just processing something you heard in, in the message that again the connect card is the best way to reach out and receive support uh, whether it's prayer or just emotional support or or whatever else you need. So be sure to take the opportunity. Uh, But I hope you have a blessed week. I hope that you see opportunities to be the kind of leader that Jesus calls us to be, uh, a servant leader in your life throughout this week. Have a blessed week, and we will see you again real soon.